0: Hey everyone, uh, this is Devin Kumar. This is the uh, Let's Talk About initiative. Um, today we are going to record the podcast with Joe Sullivan on the Let's Talk About Powerlifting. A uh, quick recap on our last podcast with Ian Bell, who is a licensed clinical social worker. We talked about mental health and uh, we hit on social justice a little bit as well. And Ian recommended two books. Uh, one was How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X Kendi as well as Attached. And uh, so far, I've read how to be an anti-racist. And Ibram presents a compelling case in what the opposite of being a racist is, and that's to be an anti-racist versus I think what's commonly thought of of just being not racist. But uh, he talks about how being not racist is in a lot of ways the same as to be racist and how there's a lot of fluidity in being an anti-racist and racist and how um, you know one can change going back and forth and the goal is basically for all of our actions and thoughts to be as anti-racist as possible. And it's really a lifelong, um, venture in to, you know, reaching that. Uh, he breaks up the book into various topics like culture, behavior, gender, sexuality, and begins the uh, chapter by a definition of racist and anti-racist approach to each topic. So it was a really good book and I learned a lot. You know, I think it's one of those books that really needs to be, you know, taken in slowly and ideally reread. So uh, Attached was the other book he recommended, and that's on my queue, which I will talk about on the next podcast. So uh, yeah, without further ado, I've got Joe Sullivan. I've been following him for a few years. He's a strong dude, obviously. He's a Kabuki strength athlete, elite FTS athlete, uh, world-class powerlifter with the best of 881 squat wrapped, and most recently an 822 raw squat. Um, which I believe was a world record at 220, a uh, 540 bench, and 749 deadlift in competition. And uh, finally, he's a coach. So, um w- welcome, Joe. Hi, Devin. How are you, buddy? Pretty good. Uh, I'm. I'm like I was saying. I'm. I'm pumped to have you on here. Um, I'm. I'm super grateful.
1: Well, I'm. Pu- I'm pumped to be here. I know we were talking before we were on air. About how this is kind of a new thing for you. And I'm, you know, I've done my fair share of podcasts and just kind of enjoy talking to people. So um, I'm here for it. I'm all about it.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I really felt like you were the perfect fit for this podcast. A lot of the people I surround myself with are powerlifters. So I thought this would be a little, and a lot of people who are going to follow this initiative at first are the people I, you know, surround myself with, which are powerlifters. So it was kind of tricky in picking someone. Who I felt a lot of people would be interested to listen to um, just because, you know, we all kind of know each other. But I feel like what you bring to the table in terms of your philosophies on training and life uh, would be perfect for this. So, uh, yeah, so let's talk about powerlifting, Joe. I wanted to start off with just very briefly, if we could touch on very basics of powerlifting before getting into some more uh, interesting topics, just to uh, make sure I'm addressing people who are listening to this podcast who might not be too familiar with powerlifting. So um, basically, what is powerlifting? How does it differ from weightlifting? And and let's just start off with
1: just really briefly, if you could touch on that. Totally. Um, Firstly, though, I'm going to roll it back a little bit because I'm not an elite FTS athlete or a Kabuki strength athlete anymore. I'm sponsored by SBD. Uh, I still have great relationships with elite FTS and Kabuki strength, but uh, I've moved on from those guys. So just kind of doing my own thing. But but I just wanted to, I wanted to say that. Oh, okay. Sorry got, about that. Got, okay, great. No, no worries. No worries at all. I just got to shout out my people. Um, but so powerlifting as a, in an elevator pitch is basically we are competing in the squat, bench, and deadlift. Uh, the three main compound movements that any basic gym bro will kind of figure out how how to do at any point. Um, There are weight classes and we are basically judged on our total, which is squat bench and deadlift added together. Uh, You get three attempts for each lift in, in any competition. Uh, You have your first attempt, your second attempt, your third attempt and whichever, like whatever you hit, For the highest for each weight, because you only get to try to do it three times, is what is added to your total. And then generally speaking, you weigh in at a particular weight class. Like the last meet that I did, I weighed in at 220 pounds. I had an 822-pound squat, a 507-pound bench, and a 677-pound deadlift, uh, which put me at a 2,007-pound total. Uh, that was enough for me to win the 220-pound weight class, but because there are different weight classes and uh, there is such a thing as relative strength as opposed to like absolute strength, absolute strength being just your total, the number that you put up, uh, and relative strength being how, uh, how that number correlates with your body weight. So even though I won my weight class with a 2007 pound total, based on the body weight coefficients used, I came in, I think, seventh place out of the men, out of all the men, because they use the Wilkes formula, which is basically just some high-level math function that tells you how strong you are in relation to your body weight. I don't know how to do the math. I just use a a website with a calculator on it. But that is essentially powerlifting because – A lot of people like to say, oh, the total is the only thing that matters. And while that is sort of a thing, it's really not. Because if there's any sport with weight classes, the weight classes matter. So if a fat motherfucker at 400 pounds totals 2,100 pounds, and then me, my little jacked short self at 220, totals 2,050. I'm a pretty confidently say that I'm stronger than that fat guy, you know? So anytime, anytime there's weight classes, there's gotta be some stuff factored in. So that's essentially powerlifting. That is raw powerlifting. There's a bunch of offshoots, uh, when it comes to like supportive equipment, whether you want to wear like squat suits, bench shirts, um, knee wraps, whatever. But I'm more of, I'm, I lean more towards, I would rather just move the weight myself than have to finagle myself into some type of super suit. And I just think it's cooler to do it raw, which means with no supportive equipment or little supportive equipment. And that's what I generally lean towards, even though I did start in supportive equipment, because that's all I knew. But that's powerlifting in a nutshell, essentially.
0: Sure. No, that's awesome. Yeah. And uh, as a uh, equipped powerlifter myself, I guess I'll speak on the different types of powerlifting there are there. So there's single ply and multiply. And uh, each, it just is basically supportive equipment, like Joe was saying. Um, and, you know, the, I guess the benefits of equipped powerlifting is that you can maybe rely more on uh, technique to get you a little further versus I feel like that there's a greater genetic limiter of raw powerlifting than for equipped powerlifting, because there's more variables you can control as far as how tight of a suit you're going to get into. Um, your technique. So that's why I I favor equipped powerlifting, at least at this stage of my life. But you know, you can't go wrong with any of them. And uh, it's all it's all fun time. So, you know, Joe, I think coming from different sports backgrounds, such as tennis, well, mainly tennis, um, a little bit soccer and basketball, and I I know you come from uh, various sport backgrounds as as well. It seems like there's no such thing as a casual powerlifter. So like tennis is what I I was really passionate about when I grew up. But there's a lot of like casual tennis players who would just, uh, you know, hit around a ball once a week or something with some friends. Powerlifting, it's a lot different. You have a schedule, you, you go to the gym four to five plus, I know for you multi times a day, you have a strict schedule, you know, your whole life revolves around powerlifting as far as like how much you're sleeping, how much you're eating. And at the elite level of any sport, that's the case. But there isn't really such thing as a casual powerlifter from what I've seen. What what are your kind of thoughts on this?
1: Uh I would kind of agree, but also disagree to some extent because I I mean I as as a gym owner, I see all sides of it. Like I am I'm really in it right now. You know, like I'm I'm 27. I've been training for over a decade now and I'm I just broke a world record and I'm continuing to shoot for more later and later in my life, so I treat it with a, a certain level of seriousness. And I know there are that there are other people in my gym that do the same. But there are also people in the gym that generally just kind of come in and do what they can with what they have. Mm-hmm. Uh there are folks in I, I coach a couple of kids. It, I call them kids, but I'm only older than them by like three or four years. But uh they're in like PhD programs. And it's just basically I wouldn't say I wouldn't be in support of their being a casual power lifter or their not being a casual power lifter. I just think it's kind of a sliding scale. It mm-hmm. should be a sliding scale. If somebody has their own self knowledge or their own, uh, their own ability to like be introspective and realize sometimes their priorities are going to shift because if I, let's say eventually I want to open up another pinnacle, Me and uh, my my partner, Tim Castle, want to open up another one. Uh, Maybe we want to open up like 10 more. Who the hell knows at this point? But that's going to mean my priorities are going to shift. It's not going to mean that I completely stop training whatsoever because I don't see that in the cards for me as a person. But it might mean that I'm not going to compete that year, or it might mean that I'm not going to have a set schedule. I'm just going to get in. I'll have, like, minimums for the week that I have to do. And then otherwise, it's just kind of figuring it out or just reprioritizing towards different things. I just it's it's hard for me to say that there are or there aren't casual power lifters. I just think there are people. And people's priorities shift as we go along. Because I mean, if if somebody has a kid, they're not going to be able to spend five days a week in the gym for three hours at a time. And if they are, their wife is going to beat the shit out of them when they get mm-hmm. home.
0: I like how you say it's kind of a sliding scale. You know, everything I guess really isn't very black and white. There, there's a lot of uh, subtlety to everything. So, you know, someone who knows a little bit about powerlifting or is maybe just been going to the gym. How do you recommend a beginner to get into powerlifting uh, as far as should they hire a new coach? Um, how should their programming look? How specific should they be? So j- just, I guess, generally, h- how do you recommend um, someone get to get into powerlifting most effectively for their long-term uh, success?
1: Most effectively for their long-term success. I would say form is paramount you need to figure out good technique if you don't have good technique you're gonna you're going to have to get it at some point because you're either going to stall out or you're going to hurt yourself on top of form being paramount i'm not saying be completely specific because i i get ve- i get very very upset with members of my gym when all they do is hit like their their rpe 8 singles mm-hmm. and then do their their drop sets of 3x6 at whatever the fuck And just squat and bench and deadlift every goddamn day. Or squat and bench and then bench and deadlift and then squat and bench and then bench and deadlift. And just keep doing the same goddamn thing over and over again. Because while that is good for refining technique, you can also refine technique in those same ways and devote a considerable amount of time to hypertrophy work and actually developing the muscle. Because in this sport, if you're not maximizing your leverages, And I don't mean getting fat. I don't mean getting I don't mean going through the dirty bulk and like gallon of milk a day, bullshit diet. I mean putting conscious effort towards gaining muscle and lean body mass in order to support the weight that you want to move, you're doing yourself a disservice. You have to consider putting muscle on, even if it is to a small degree, even if the individual is like, well, I don't want to get too big, that's fine. But if you want to be strong, you're going to have to get a little big. It's just, it comes with the territory because a larger muscle isn't a stronger muscle, but a larger muscle is going to have a higher potential to be strong because you can add, you can add, there's only so much you can do with neuromuscular adaptation, which is basically like the nerve, the nerve endings in the muscles, learning how to move better and learning how to move more efficiently. That's why, Generally, small people can get very, very strong. They have a high affinity towards neuromuscular uh, adaptation, but you hit a wall with that. If you achieve hypertrophy and gain and, and, and gain muscle and gain muscle cells, you can increase the potential to recruit more motor neurons. And if you increase the potential and then if you train with specificity, you can recruit more of those motor neurons and then in, uh, cause more neuromuscular adaptation, which is going to cause more strength because you've added larger muscles onto your frame it all works together and that's why the best the best powerlifters in the world look like off-season bodybuilders Mm -hmm. because they're big and jacked they're not they're not little small folks
0: yeah so it sounds like a beginner getting into powerlifting or really anyone any powerlifter should have uh dedicated times to really gain as much muscle as possible and then maybe closer to a competition increasing the specificity yeah, I, I totally agree as far as some programs being out there where there's year-round just, yeah, like you were saying, RP8 eight, eight single, then some back off sets, and then you go home. So there's a couple of things that I wanted to touch on from what you mentioned, and that is how you mentioned how technique is paramount. And I feel like there's a lot of lifters who are, I'll use the term paralysis by analysis, and they get too caught up in their technique. And then it never gets stronger. So what? how do you kind of walk that fine line between putting the work in, getting stronger, while staying cognizant of proper technique? Um,
1: that comes with either having a coach, good training partners, good mentors, or just kind of realizing that you need to push every now and again. Because I can be worried about, uh, I had a serious degree of hip shift, Going into my last competition, I, as as you may know, I have that nerve compression injury on my left side. It's basically caused a, a downstream effect co- to cause my entire torso to kind of offset and, sh- and shift into my right hip because my left lat and my left scapula are all kinds of fucked up. And because of that, I realize I have this hip shift. I know that it's occurring, but I can maximize the different areas. I can stabilize my ankle more. I can stabilize my uh, trunk more. I can brace harder. I can basically like work in areas that I know I can be better and realize that I may not be able to avoid that hip shift entirely, but I can mitigate the effects from it. And I know that's a very, that's a long-winded answer, but the answer there is realize that, Technique is super important, but sometimes like when you're eight weeks out from a competition or even 12 weeks out or, or you have a particular goal in mind, you're just going to have to sack the fuck up and push and deal with it and work around it and mitigate the negative effects of it and then address it in that hypertrophy phase, in that nonspecific phase, in that offseason phase that we were just talking about after the meet. Sometimes you just have to push. Sometimes you have to realize that shit's going to hurt. Shit's going to be a little bit fucked up. But if you have a goal in mind, that's a small sacrifice to make to achieve that goal. I broke the all-time world record and it didn't feel great. If you watch that video, I have a serious fucking hip shift in the hole, but I stood up with the motherfucker and I'm all right. And now I'm going to a cervical spine specialist uh, twice a week for the next five months and just doing hypertrophy work for that same amount of time, probably even longer, and not competing for over a year after this or during this during this period because I need to fix my stuff. But it's just getting through your goal, achieving your goal, and then realizing now's the time to address the issues that I'm facing.
0: Yeah, I really like how um, you mentioned in a competition prep, the shift of focus is a little different versus an offseason. So where an off season is fixing your shit, uh, increasing your base, and then when you're competition prep, you have a deadline that you know it's it's there regardless. So you just have to suck it up and, and perform. Uh, I I think that was really well said. So taking a quick step back, as far as a beginner getting into powerlifting, should they hire a coach or depending on if they have the resources, the monetary resources, should they hire a coach? If they don't, how should how do you recommend them going about it? Are there kind of I know there's a lot of free programs on, on the web. Uh, yeah. How do, you, how do you recommend beginners going about their own programming or hiring a coach?
1: That takes a little bit of self-knowledge as well, because if you are an individual that has a hard time staying accountable and you kind of, it's the same thing with a personal trainer, like an in-person coach. If you have a hard time staying accountable and you need somebody up your ass in order to make you go to the gym, make you do your corrective exercises, make you mitigate the shit that we're talking about, then probably hire a coach. Or there's another alternative there. Go to go to a gym with training partners. Go train around people that are going to train around the same time that are going to be on you to do those same things. There's a lot, a lot of options here. And I'm not the type of guy that like says every beginner needs to have a coach, but every beginner needs some type of help. If that means following a program. And then just like we live in the age of social media as 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 shitty as social media is and as stupid and as contrived and bullshit. All this stuff is it's really freaking great because there are dudes that have broken all time world records, guys that have trained for 10, 15, 20, 25 years on here that you can realistically message and be like, hey, I have a question. Can you help me with this? And they may not respond. They may not even see the message, but sometimes they will. And even if they don't go into depth to actually help you, they might send you a link. They might've written an article about it or made a video about it prior and they might send it your way and it may address the issues. There's free programs. There's programs you can buy for 20 bucks. If you basically, it comes back to the, personal accountability. Like if a beginner is all about it, all fired up and wants to follow something to a T, they can find a free program and do so, so well on it. If that means hiring a coach and buying into that coach's philosophy and becoming like best friends and viewing that coach as a mentor and as like a leader, that's great too. If that means... Doing a free program or going to a gym where they provide programming and having a group of people to train around and love it and have like a little community and a little friend group through the whole thing, that's perfect too. It's really just about knowing what you as an individual are really going to respond to because I really like training around people, but I hate training with people. If I have like an actual training partner that shows up to the gym and is like, what are we doing today? I, for for some reason, I'm like it, I respond so negatively. I'm like, I don't give a fuck what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I'm doing this. We can train around one another and have fun. But like, if I have to babysit you the whole time, I'm like, get the fuck away from me, man. Like, and that's always been how I've worked. But That's not how everybody works. And if if you respond really, really well to having a partner or having somebody that's with you and loading your weights and loading their weights and taking turns and all that stuff, go full bore into that. It's really just like think about what you enjoy the most doing and then do the fuck out of it. Because if you don't enjoy this, you're going to burn out really, really fast. Like if people don't know, I started doing this when I was 13 years old. My first competition was in 2007. If I wasn't having fun, there's no goddamn way I'd still be doing this.
0: I, I like how you talk about allowing individual personality for different ways of training. Personally, coming from a background of training in a collegiate team at UT Austin, there's certain benefits of that versus training uh, alone or maybe just one-on-one with the coach. With powerlifting, being such a passionate sport. I think it's really cool how you can uh, reach out to a world-class powerlifter on social media. And what I found is that most of the time, they are pretty responsive and helpful. And I I think that's really cool and something unique versus other sports. With that said, uh, going back to technique, with so many people training on and showcasing their training on Instagram, everyone's technique is different, right? So how can a beginner or anyone in powerlifting filter what they see on social media and get the good out of techniques they see as well as allowing a space for individuality of techniques. Does that make sense?
1: Yes. And I have a really good answer for it because this is what I recommend. Like anybody, any member of my gym has probably heard this. Anybody who's ever attended any of my seminars has probably heard this. Anybody who's been coached by me has probably heard this. Buy an anatomy and physiology textbook, read it, and take notes, and actually try to understand how the muscles are moving in conjunction with the other muscles of the body, and what the muscles are actually doing to the skeleton. Because when you see what is actually happening, and like how stuff crosses joints and acts on particular joints and acts on the bones because the muscles aren't the things that are moving. The muscles contract and cause the skeleton to move. A lot of stuff makes sense because this, I'll bring, I'll bring up a specific example because this is one thing that I've liter, I'm literally making a video series on this because I'm so, I'm not mad, but I'm just like, I can't believe how shitty everyone is at doing this. Everybody loves to cue knees out. Everybody loves to drive their knees out on the squat. The knee is a hinge joint. It just extends and flexes. It just bends. It goes up and down. That's all it's supposed to do. If you actually drive a knee laterally out, that's putting stress on connective tissue and not actually moving the bones how you want them to move, not allowing the joint to move in just a hinge, just up, down, just bend, bend and extend, bend and extend. How do you actually drive the knee out? You externally rotate the femur. What does externally rotate the femur mean? It means opening up your hips. If you read an anatomy and physiology textbook, what externally rotates the femur? The glute medius. The glute medius acts on the femur at the hip to roll it outward if the femur opens up and externally rotates at the hip what happens to the knee that is just bending it goes out over the foot and stacks over the ankle and if you're properly rooting your feet then you have a perfect aesthetic beautiful squat happening and it all occurs at the glute medius and because If you take a moment and read an anatomy and physiology textbook and actually understand what is occurring and try to connect one movement to another, to another, to another, then you'll be like, oh, fuck. Okay. My knee isn't collapsing because of my knee. My knee is collapsing because of my hip or my knee is collapsing because of my ankle. It's work. It's upstream or downstream. And while each individual is going to be different, each individual skeleton is going to be different, what isn't going to be different is how those particular muscles act on those particular pieces of the skeleton. So while things will be nuanced and a little, a little position will be different, a little movement will be different, a little groove of the actual squat will be different, maybe you need a particular cue for yourself in order to do this and whatever, if you actually read an anatomy and physiology textbook, and tie your movements together tie tie the the muscle activation to the movement and then make an actual exercise out of it you can realize like oh fuck you know this is connected to that and that's connected to this so if this isn't working this isn't going to work and that's why my knee hurts or that's why i shift to my right just like i'm saying my uh My nerve compression injury is on my left side and it fucks up the scapula. What does the the left side, the left shoulder dictate is going to, uh, it's going to tie into the right hip, which is going to tie into the left knee, which is going to tie into the right ankle. And if you work downstream on my own body, what are areas of issue that I have? It's my left scapula shifting into my right hip unnecessarily externally rotating my left femur too much causing left knee pain causing my right side to take all of the brunt of the weight and then causing me to shift towards the right which causes my right knee to hurt and it's all connected and we're all just little piles of meat and flesh tied together so if one thing fucks up the other thing is going to fuck up and that was a super long-winded artistic, creative, whatever the fuck explanation, but read anatomy and physiology textbook, understand how the muscles actually work on the skeleton. And then if you apply that to powerlifting technique, shit's not that difficult, honestly.
0: Gotcha. And I think that's a great way for someone to educate themselves with irrefutable facts. I mean, an anatomy and physiological book it's not, and there's nothing nuanced about it. It's, it's there and, and it's a fact. So I guess by learning about that, it can help inform decisions about who to listen to, whether it be on social media or coaches to pick. Um, because if what maybe a coach is preaching is contradicting with what an anatomy book says a muscle function is, or how the kinetic chain plays a role in that, maybe we can say, okay, I probably shouldn't listen to that person. I, I think that's a good, good idea. So are there any big myths you have to constantly, like, smush regarding powerlifting that you can touch on as well here?
1: Uh, Anybody that tells you to actively arch your back when you're squatting is an idiot. So that's pretty much it. And that I'll I'll give you an example of that because, like, I – and this is more like – this is more like conjugate-style theory uh, because I live in Columbus, and it's a very large population here, and I just get super – annoyed that I keep having to have people unlearn this when they come talk to me. But it's, again, anatomy and physiology book because, simple analogy, if you flex and contract the bicep, what happens to the tricep, which is the antagonistic muscle of the humerus, of the upper arm? It causes it to relax and to stretch. The bicep contracts and shortens, the tricep has to relax and stretch in order to allow the bicep to contract and shorten. If you arch the lumbar spine and you flex the paraspinals on the back of your body, what happens to the front of your body, which is your transverse abdominis and your entire ab wall? It has to relax and it has to stretch. Do you want relaxed and stretched abs when you're squatting, maximal weight doesn't seem like a good fucking idea, guys. So why would you arch your fucking back when you're squatting?
0: Yeah, that that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, that's my big thing. Yeah, it sounds like you see that a lot. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Are there any other maybe so if that was um, a big myth on the squat, can you touch on one on maybe the bench and deadlift that you see a lot?
1: Uh, shorter range of motion on the bench is not always better. Uh, if it limits the function of the shoulder, like if, if it actually messes up the shoulder positioning and like your ability to keep your wrist stacked over your elbow, over your shoulder, then it's not necessarily the greatest thing. Um, and deadlift, uh, shorter range of motion isn't always better because I have a lot of people that are like oh, I need to grip the bar as close together as possible. Like my grip needs to be as close as possible so that like I will pull the bar a shorter distance. But then if I ever have people struggle with their starting position and their shoulders rolled forward and they're like sort of in that rounded upper back position, if they widen their grip by an inch or two and focus on thoracic extension, um, so like keeping their chest up, their, their, their mid-back, Tension and their lats engaged it can generally fix their starting position which in turn is going to fix their finishing position their lockout and even though they're pulling the bar a greater distance it's a much more efficient pull because their start position and their ending position are much much cleaner
0: yeah that makes sense i like how there's a difference between at face value, what's mechanically advantageous, like reducing bar path versus how an individual just lifts their strongest. And I think that's something that is underlooked, especially with, you know, a lot of people being so technical as far, yeah, like like with reducing ROM and bench and reducing ROM on on pulls. Some people are just stronger, lifting the weights differently. And if they are, maybe it should just be embraced and Embrace our strengths and and just get stronger that way, versus fighting our body to lift a certain way because we see someone else lifting that way when we could just be stronger lifting it a different way. Is that do you agree with that? Is that is that kind of
1: what you're you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's kind of you don't have to like it, it like like you said. There's a difference between like mechanical advantage and just actually advantage for like like practical advantage. Because yes, a, a straight, like a shorter distance is going to be a, a bigger advantage. But if that inhibits like the actual, your ability to produce force or your your own body's ability to maintain position, how much of an advantage is it actually going to be?
0: Yep. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Yeah. Uh, and I actually think this is something that, it would seem counterintuitive where a beginner in powerlifting would opt for just lifting the weight in their strongest form. But it seems like in the day of social media where there's a lot of influence over people who are super technical, it seems like people are trying to maybe copy the technicality of other people. And, and it, it kind of goes back to that paralysis by analysis that I was talking about earlier. Um, so, yeah, I think that's why it's so important to surround yourself with and and uh, with mentors who uh, really know what they're doing and are about getting stronger versus just staying the same and just lifting pretty. Um, okay. You know, when should a person who's gained in powerlifting begin competing? And at the same time, when should a powerlifter who competes, when should they decide to take an off season or maybe just take a break from competing and and focus on a long dedicated off season to eventually come back to competing like like i guess you are right
1: now honestly i can't really answer that for any particular person but like if if a person stops like hitting prs every meet or kind of like gets to a point where they're more of intermediate towards advanced lifter they're going to have to they're going to have to start considering like taking some more time and and putting more effort towards taking care of themselves because you can you can push hard for a long time but if you if you push too hard for too long you're going it's it's going to push back like the weights will push back and you'll either start to accumulate some type of chronic injuries um or you'll get an acute injury which is like you'll tear a muscle or a tendon or something you know it's it's just it's it's again like personal self-knowledge and realizing like oh man i'm not i'm not hitting the prs that i should be hitting maybe i need to devote a lot more like more time to put some muscle on or maybe i just need to give myself a little bit of a break it's just realizing like okay things aren't moving how i want them to move or as quickly as i want them to move so here we are
0: yeah no, that, that makes sense you know in in regards to specificity of the three lifts we talked about this earlier but i think someone who's looking at powerlifting and I, i've been addressed this question myself they'll ask if you just compete in the squat bench and deadlift, why are you training other lifts? And, you know, we talked about that for the in the case of um, hypertrophy for building muscle. But how does this mindset change as you become more advanced of a lifter and more competitive as a lifter? Um, Does the principle hold true? Where um, there's just as much of an emphasis on hypertrophy training, uh, versus specificity from a beginner to an advanced lifter? Or is there like um this spectrum that shifts more towards higher specificity as you get more competitive
1: uh, it it sort of depends on the individual because I like I'm not I find much more benefit because the level of strength that I have found myself to have in getting away from like super specific movements uh, because just doing, super specific movements again and again and again it will it it if you have any type of uh movement pattern dysfunction doing the same thing over and over and over again it's going to stress areas that you don't exactly want stress like if i if i'm shifting into my right hip i don't want to just keep shifting into my right hip and do hypertrophy work at 50% for like 5 sets of 10 for 6 months because that is Lightweight in essence, but it's doing the it, it's putting the same stress on the same joint over and over and over, and it's going it will eventually bite you in the ass, and you'll you'll either hurt yourself or stuff will start to hurt and ache and eventually get to an unmanageable point. So I am normally I am coached by Scott Miller uh, out of Stronghouse Project and Strength and Mechanics in Las Vegas. But right now I'm actually, uh, being coached by Ben Pollack. Uh, he's taking me through a hypertrophy program, which is very, very non-specific. I actually have like a lot of pre-exhaustion work. Uh, my main movements aren't necessarily squatting or benching or deadlifting on every day. And I, I am, I am the sorest I have ever been. My muscles are trashed, but my joints and my body, I feel like a new man. I feel amazing because I'm not stressing the same spot over and over and over and over again. I'm just actually, I'm actually stressing the muscles. And if a person has any type of movement pattern dysfunction, which almost everybody does, they'd probably do well training like this for at least half the year. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I totally agree. You know, I, my, my coach is big on off seasons and uh, kind of for similar reasons that you mentioned. Uh, I, so I know one thing you were just talking about is repetitive movements that can cause discomfort in the joints. When I think of that, I also think of adaptations for certain movements. So a personal anecdote would be uh, I'm coming off of a little bit of an off season where I didn't pull sumo for, um, you know, a good half, almost six months. But I was squatting low bar. Well, reintroducing sumo, I started to feel some hip pain in the bottom of my squat, which I mean, kind of dissipated over a few weeks to a month, as my body adapted back to that, the higher loads on my hips, pulling sumo as well as low bar. How do you, you know, what's your mindset or thought process on the difference between a healthy, uh, adaptations for certain movements when there's pain versus this pain is something that's just going to get worse. Does that make um, sense?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking about how to answer it. Uh, because I don't necessarily think like, I don't think there should be pain. I don't, I gotcha. don't, if you're, if you're going if you're doing a new movement, if there's actually like a pain response, it means that you're your muscles are probably not prepared to activate in that new range of motion. And you shouldn't just jump into that range of motion. You should do that through like accessory work. So I would say like introducing that muscle activation through, like if you're moving to sumo, like start doing some like wide stance, like honestly, like wide stance, box squats, wide stance, belt squat, Cossack squats, stuff like that. Get some tissue tolerance in that range of motion and then move to the actual sumo or your movement itself is kind of jacked up, you know, and then address that. And that's when it comes, maybe have a coach, maybe have training partners that are like, Hey, your, your sumo looks like shit. Your knees are collapsing. Your ankles are collapsing. Nothing is fucking, you're not actually opening up. You're literally doing like wide stance, conventional or something, you know? So it's, there's a lot of things there, but I would basically say, I don't think there should be pain pain, muscle soreness, absolutely, but if there's actually like pain response, I think you need to roll it back and address address like the base more than uh just jumping into a new movement
0: that makes sense and and i I guess from what you were saying before, especially in off season th- uh, does that mindset shift for When you're prepping for a competition, like you were talking before, Um, you know, I guess training while injured seems like inherent dichotomy at face value, but sometimes it is like unavoidable, I guess, when you're prepping for a competition.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's training for a competition. So it's doing the same thing that you've done many, many, many times. So it's kind of like normal to have the chronic injury type ache, like uh, my left knee is a problem area. uh, My right hip is a problem area. And they just get like achy, or like during the movement they're kind of fucked up. But that's different, and that's that's where you're just kind of like, well, you're eight weeks out, you just kind of have to deal with it and mitigate it where you can. That's different than jumping into a new movement that you've never done before. So there's no real accumulated stress there. Oh, I see. Yeah. And doing it and then being like, oh fuck, that hurts.
0: Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. I understand. Cool. So let's move on to weight classes from when I first got into powerlifting I was really light I was 5'10 and I weighed 140 and now I'm around 200 um, pounds but uh, and I compete in 205 pound weight class but uh, when I was 140 I was really into like doing a water cut because it was exciting and it made me feel like I was more elite than the beginner beginner I was How do you recommend someone picks their weight class um, when they're competing in the short term and long term? Should a beginner focus on drastic weight classes or should they focus on just gradually gaining weight to the weight class that they should aim for long term? And how should they pick that weight class?
1: If If you're not breaking world records or competing at a very, very high level, I really, really believe that you should just walk in wherever you walk in and weigh in wherever you weigh in because i know way too many people that cut weight for state records or federation records or even like federation all time world records or whatever but the problem with all of those are is most federations and even in the USAPL and the IPF going for like age division records, weight division plus age division records plus like military plus police and fire or whatever the fuck like mm-hmm. you can, you can break it down and you can sign up for some divisions where you're going to break a record and it's going to be like, cool. But essentially what you just did is you paid that $50 entry fee. You bought a fucking metal yeah. and it's like, good work, dude. You can check a box and use your PayPal. It's, it doesn't, it doesn't really, it's not really required and I get it because, like, we all want to win something. We all want to feel like we're special doing something. Yeah. But you're shooting yourself in the foot in terms of long-term progress by marrying yourself to a weight class or by consistently cutting or consistently worrying about who has the, the state record in the 1920 age, whatever the fuck, division.
0: Yeah, and this is like, I totally agree. And this is something I'm personally really passionate about. You know, my mindset is like as a powerlifter, I want to be the best I can be long term. And uh, that means like not focusing on this like wire cut when I'm not even competitive in like an actual competitive sense. So I know there's like with powerlifting maybe being a smaller sport compared to, well, I guess the obvious big time sports, like maybe in America, like football or baseball, you can sign up to for a local meet and get first place. And then you can take a step back and realize that you were the only person in that weight and age division. So by default, just by putting up a total, you got first place. And I don't know, I think that's something that needs to be like, recognized that, you know, you're really not that special in that sense. And um, there needs to be a, a broader focus in terms of your individual long-term success to maybe then be competitive in an actual competitive sense. So Joe, how do you deal with adversity in training and not let it get the best of you? I think a lot, most powerlifters at some point have dealt with an injury or something, maybe not even injury, but when training just isn't going ideal and being passionate about something when that something doesn't go as planned, I think it can have an effect on how we feel how do you go about it and, um, deal with it?
1: Um, so basically it' like, I, there have been, been multiple instances where like, I've, uh, I've thrown my belt in here cause I've been so pissed off, uh, and just stuff like that. Like one of, one of the girls I coach, uh, Jillian Mull, her and I are built very similarly and we both, Suck at deadlifts, and we always end up deadlifting at the same time on Thursdays, and it's a running joke because she'll she'll cry, and I'll throw my belt, and it's just like Thursdays are a bad day at Pinnacle Performance. But um, I generally just I I try to abide by the philosophy that I only let myself be upset for a certain period of time. I I generally just say I I repeat to myself thirty seconds, thirty seconds, thirty seconds you know, and I can be pissed off for about 30 seconds. And then after that, I have to move on and figure out what I'm going to do to address why I'm pissed off, which is, a lot of the time is just sometimes getting better at the deadlift or like sorting out some form issues or trying to address the grip issues that I continually have because of the nerve compression injury. Same thing when it comes to an injury, even if the injury is disastrous, it, it happens. And no matter how sad or mad or upset that you are about the injury that occurred, you can't go back and change it. So you can let yourself be upset. You can let yourself be pissed off. You can let yourself be sad. You can let yourself think that the world is ending, but only for a certain period of time. And then it's up to you and it's on you because you're the only person that can do it to figure out what you're going to do about it, how you're going to work around it, how you're going to work through it. And how you're going to come back because you're the only person that can do that. And that's going to determine how important this sport is to you, because if you want it, you're going to come back. There's no such thing as a career ending injury. Truly. I I really don't believe I I really believe that. And there's always something that you can do you can always work around work around it in some manner you can always work through it in some manner and you can always come back it's just up to you to realize that like you can't stay upset you have to be proactive at some point point. and i've torn i've ruptured both distal bicep tendons and had them both repaired i have no meniscus in my right knee each time those things i have the nerve compression injury each time those things have happened You want to know what I've done? I've gotten to training. I've gotten back to training within a week of them occurring. With the meniscus, I was benching and doing like single leg work. With the blown up biceps, a safety squat bar was my best friend and toe straps behind my elbows in order to work my lats. Mm. You know, it's just, you have to be creative. You have to understand that like, you're the only person that can work around it. So if you want to work around it, get to it.
0: Yeah, yeah, well said. I think this question and topic segues well into one of the two themes that I want this initiative to have, and that is mental health. And like adversity and training can have a negative impact on our mental health, if not approached effectively, I think there is a big detrimental or maybe helpful, I don't know, I want to hear your thoughts on it, but mindset of powerlifters who whatever's going on in their life they'll say like fuck it nothing else matters because it's deadlift day or maybe like squats are my therapy in that kind of attitude uh i think it can be maybe used in some aspects as a scapegoat um what so what are are your thoughts on this in in terms of mental health
1: dumb as fuck honestly like i hate i hate the old adage of saying training is my therapy, you know, iron therapy. It's not fucking therapy. It's a coping mechanism and that's fine. That's okay. There are a lot of coping mechanisms. You can play video games, you can smoke weed, you can fucking, you can go hit on random people at a bar, whatever the fuck you need to do to feel okay for a little bit. And as long as you're not hurting other people, great, you know, but, you have to identify those things as a coping mechanism. And how do you do that? You go to actual fucking therapy and you talk about your issues that you're facing and you sort them out and then realize like, all right, this is why I feel better after I have a really great workout. But then if you completely hinge your mood on one thing during the day, what happens when you have a bad deadlift day? You don't. You really you're really, really going to struggle with that whole 30 seconds methodology, because if you have a bad deadlift day and then you're also suffering in your daily life and super depressed and hate yourself and want to kill yourself and then you're like, oh, but deadlifts will make it feel better. And then you miss a set, miss a rep or miss a set or shit feels hard. What's that going to do to your mental health? If you put all your eggs in one basket and then you drop that basket, that's not a fucking good time man. And that's why I I really dislike the whole training is my therapy thing. I, I am, I am a much bigger fan on realizing like how much training is a factor in an individual's life and how effective it can be as a coping mechanism. But it's also about actually realizing like, what are the issues that you're facing? Why do you feel this way? Why does training make you feel better? And what are some other things that could also make you feel better if training goes away? Because if you get into a fucking car accident, if your gym gets shut down for COVID, what the fuck are you gonna do then? Are you just gonna kill yourself? Yeah. And that and that that question right there, that was answered for a couple of people because I had two friends that committed suicide over the course of the shutdown and one more that attempted. Oh wow. And that's why training can't be the end all be all. As a guy that puts so much of his life into and behind training and owning a gym and being the best in the world at some fucking random lifting weight sport, it can't be my everything. Because if it was, as soon as it goes away, I have nothing and then I die.
0: Thanks for saying that. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I uh, I think you're saying a really good example on you know I, I know you have a large following and I think preaching about this and talking about what powerlifting can do, but what it can not do is really important and uh, I I think you're saying a really good example on everyone that follows you um, talking about this. So I don't want to I don't want I, I to just dismiss the fact of how you said you had a couple friends commit suicide during the pandemic i'm really sorry to hear about that yeah it's it's uh it's really really rough
1: um i'm sorry no it's 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 thank you i appreciate it it's it's not it's not my life man you know it's it's their life they made a decision and i can't really like like full disclosure and i've talked about this briefly but like i attempted suicide when i was 17 years old and i you know like i i it they did it you know and i'm sad that they did it and i'm mad that they did it but it was their decision and they did it and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna hate them for it i'm just gonna miss them you know and i do so
0: yeah no i i i uh i feel that thanks joe what sort of lessons do you believe people learn from powerlifting that apply to other aspects of life and vice versa? So you know, we just talked about how powerlifting can't substitute for therapy. And although it can be used as like a coping mechanism, uh, it's not a replacement, but at the other edge of that sword, what lessons can we gain from powerlifting, um, that apply to life as well as all the way around?
1: Um, for me personally uh you're capable of way more than you think you are all it takes is time and consistency and some type of plan and and maybe bordering on stubbornness because like i a, as i said before my first competition was in 2007 i'm i'm 27 years old uh right now so with 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 that the first time i stepped into a gym i was like 13 years old and i was I was a fat little kid. I just played video games like I, I played. I was 280 pounds going into high school, completely untrained, just just fat little dude, like super scared, super high social anxiety, like didn't know what to do about anything. And the first time I squatted in the the Powers Catholic weight room, the Flint Powers Catholic weight room, which is my high school, uh, I dumped 135 pounds on the floor because I lost my balance. And. Everybody in the weight room laughed, everybody made fun of me, and I felt like shit, because as the kid with social anxiety who was fat, whose nickname was tits, because I had man boobs, it did not make me feel good, but I came back, and I kept doing it, and I kept doing it, and I kept doing it, and and now I broke an all-time world record, and people... Listen to me and are inspired by my own story and I am in a position to teach people how to get very good at strength training at weightlifting and at ideally how to be better people uh because I try to I like I joke I joke with people cuz I've I've had my own personal struggles lately like I've 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 gone through some like emotional personal life stuff. And I, I've bitched to people that I'm close with. I'm like, I'm I'm Mr. High Road, you know, like I make the right decision. I'm I don't treat people poorly and look at the shit that it's got me. What the fuck? You know? Yeah. And we kind of have to you kind of have to realize like as soon as you start keeping count as soon as you start like keeping a running tally of like, well, I did these good things. Why, why aren't these good things happening to me? You're going to lose. You just have to realize it's on you. You're the only person that can control yourself and make your own decisions. So if you think it's worthwhile to make those good decisions and be the Mr. High Road, be the lighthouse for other people, then you're going to keep doing that no matter how heavy the storm is around you. No matter how hard it is to take that high road, you're going to continue to do it. And that's kind of how I live my life. And I really think I'm blessed to be able to do it because I get messages fairly frequently about how I've I've changed somebody's life or I've helped them get through some bullshit, no matter how small or how big it is. and that just lets me know that I'm doing something right and even if I don't get an immediate reward from it or I don't have like the perfect life because of it, that's okay because the closest thing I can get to perfect is helping other people
0: no that's awesome Joe um, that yeah it sounds super fulfilling and um, it's really cool to hear your story of you know where you started, and now where you are, is in terms of being able to set an example on uh, maybe some of the same people that you might have seen yourself when you first started. Uh, I know one of your your tattoos on your um, forearm. It says uh, "Live, Learn, Pass On." Correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I I respect it, Joe. I um I think that's awesome, and I really like that. It's not just talk, but it's also actions that behind what you you know what you talk about. I think the fact that you're on this podcast to begin with to talk about powerlifting and mental health on in a project that hasn't even technically launched yet is awesome. And I think it speaks highly of who you are as a person and what you preach about.
1: So I, I really appreciate it. Well thank you man. And and what's the other tattoo on on the other forearm? It it says it says always. And that's that goes back to what I just said. It's Making the decision to do the right thing, to be the man, you know, and it's a constant. It's a constant if you make the decision every day to make it a constant. And that's that's on the individual. And that's what I try to do every day. And that's what I'm going to keep trying to do always.
0: Yeah, well said. I, I think we, uh, we're we very similar uh, philosophically in, in, in that, that regard. Joe, is there, I want to kind of open the floor to anything you might want to speak on or anything we talked about, or um, just really anything in general related to powerlifting or beyond. I really don't want this podcast to be limited to, although it's supposed to be themed as a conversation, I don't want it to be limited to what I'm asking and what you're answering. So is there anything that you want to, you know, mention at this point of the podcast?
1: Uh, I mean, I don't know, like, The takeaway here, I really feel like, is just be good to people, treat people well, treat yourself well, and just be a good person. Like, it's not always going to get you anything, but it's going to make you a good person, and we need more of those in the world. So it's up to you to do it.
0: Yeah, 100 emoji. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Cool, Joe. Uh, So this podcast, the Let's Talk About powerlifting podcast will be paired with a let's talk about powerlifting shirt and five dollars of every shirt sold will go towards an organization or charity of your picking so what um organization have you picked for that
1: uh i i was gonna go with the ohio uh suicide prevention foundation uh just because basically because of all the things we talked about in this podcast you know yeah
0: yeah definitely no, I, I think, I think that's, um that, that's a great pick. Thanks for that. And then um, the, I guess the next thing would be, what book do you recommend for people listening to this podcast, you know, related to powerlifting philosophy, whatever, just um, one book that you recommend everyone listening to this reads?
1: So I'm, I'm actually going to put like a call to action with this, because okay. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not just like a read a Rita thing. And then like, just, think about it guy i'm like let's actually do shit involving this so i'm i'm gonna say meditations by marcus aurelius it's just a collection of his musings or whatever but if you read that i would recommend pairing it with journaling so like read a meditation and then write about a personal anecdotal experience where you Succeeded in applying that, or maybe failed in applying that, or just tie it to yourself in some way, and just let yourself think about something. I'm I'm really big on journaling. I'm really big on writing, and actually like putting your thoughts on paper, just as a way to sort of process them further than just having them knocking around in your head.
0: Yeah, no, I I I agree, and I, you know, from my own personal experience, I've I've witnessed the um the helpfulness of of doing that. Joe, where can people reach you? And um, I know you offer your coaching services. So, where can um, someone who's interested in getting your coaching go about reaching out to you for that as well?
1: Uh, so, I have my website, which is joesullivanpowerlifting.com. And I'm also Joe Sullivan Powerlifter on Instagram. If you DM me, I will probably get back to you. If not, go through my uh my website joesulvanpowerlifting.com uh there's like a contact me form in there that it will put it into my email so that's super useful uh and i also sell t-shirts on there so if you want to get a t-shirt or whatever like you can go ahead and do that and yeah you know i'm pretty much only on instagram and my website so that's pretty much it if anybody's ever in columbus Ohio. Tim Castle, and I own Pinnacle Performance down here. Um, So if you ever want to stop in and train or just shoot the shit or have me like look at your squat or bench or deadlift or whatever, uh, and you're ever in town, just swing through and I would be more than happy to do that.
0: Cool. And uh, do you work with just advanced lifters or can anyone in powerlifting or whatever reach out to you for coaching? Anybody, anybody,
1: man. Like I, I have I like a little a little bit about me, like I was an exercise physiologist for Mount Carmel, which is a, a hospital system in uh, Columbus for a minute. I have an exercise science degree. I am a biology minor. I actually got into medical school. I just chose not to go um, and I used to I used to exclusively train general population people uh, and do like group classes. So I am I very, very much enjoy coaching very elite lifters because it's fun to, to work with like really, really strong people like Scott Miller and I have both started to work with uh, Brianni Terry, uh, who is a former all time world record holder until February when she competes in Miami. And she breaks it again. But that's like super exciting. But then I also have like a billion people that I work with that are just going for like normal just, just PRs for themselves. And I love that shit too. Cause I love, I just love sharing in other people's joy. Cause like, I know that I've been there and when somebody hits a PR and like loses their shit, I'm just like, that's the coolest fucking feeling on the planet, you know?
0: Yeah, definitely. And are there any other resources that you recommend people kind of follow for their own pursuit of knowledge and powerlifting, um, whether it be Instagram websites, whatnot?
1: I would say the Kabuki virtual coaching platform um, is super, super great. Scott Miller is super, super intelligent. He will always respond to DMs if you have questions on stuff. He's probably less nice than I am, but that's fine. Some people need that. So Scott Kabuki virtual coaching, Uh, hypertrophy coach, uh, Joe Bennett. He is super, super intelligent, and I love watching his stuff. That's more related to hypertrophy training, but what did we just talk about in this podcast? Diversify your sources of information so that you can have a larger toolbox, basically. Um, And those three, because I don't want to keep naming people off the top of my head, because I always feel like I'm forgetting more.
0: Well, I'm sure that gives a lot of people a lot of good places to start. And uh, I'm also going to drop my personal coach's info here, too. His name's Michael and uh, his Instagram is call me Mikey P and that Mikey is with a Y at the end. And then um, his coaching service Instagram is school of Mikey P. And those are both on Instagram. Um, He's been my coach for a few years and he coaches a lot of the guys at UT Austin. Um, And, and, you know, I've had great success with him and I, I value him as a coach and lifter as well. All right, Joe. Well, thank you so much for being on this podcast. Uh, I, like I said, I, I really think that you were the perfect person to come on for this powerlifting, you know, topic and, uh, yeah, thanks again.
1: Hey, well, I appreciate you having me, Devin. Like, like I said, man, like I, I just, I love conversation and I, we'd probably have this same one had it not been recorded. And if you ever swung through uh Columbus, Ohio, so either way, man.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks again. And then I'm going to close the podcast off right here.